Welcome to the Injury Men podcast. Uh, as normal, I'm joined by Paul Head in this episode, the co-host of the show, and myself, Ben Austin. And we go into some myths today about back pain. We go in deep. We go into some real common beliefs that people have around back pain. We get deep. At some point, we go into a little bit of philosophy around it. But mainly, we just we give real-life examples here of... Um, types of pain people experience and what you can do about it practically to make things better. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. All right, here we go. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're joined today by Paul, as ever, and myself, Ben. Uh, we are the Injury Men, and we've got uh, an episode today, obviously, um, as you've just heard, on, on back pain and myths around back pain. So this one's a really interesting one for us because obviously we see it loads. Um, it, it's a really common problem so uh, as ever we're going to be answering your questions uh, I think Paul's got a question straight away that he's going to fire off and then we'll spend the episode um, trying to answer that and go through a bit around it to give you a bit more information hi Paul how's it going I'm good yeah you okay all good mate all good okay so uh, the question we got is from a Michael Jed so thank you for the question and he says I have low back pain that reoccurs every few years. He's been told to rest and others have told him to exercise. Um, and he'd like our opinions um, on sort of his best way forward with the sort of mixed opinions he's already had. Yeah, this is always an interesting one. I think this, this comes back to one of the biggest myths around back pain with regards to should I rest or should I exercise? Um, and obviously in, in a, Previous episode, we've spoken a bit about the police paradigm. So without repeating ourselves on that, people can go back and have a listen. But what, what we address was, was that in, in contrast to the RICE protocol, which people are familiar with after injuries, where obviously number one on RICE is the R, which is rest. Um, now, I think if people listen to that, they'll know what we're really thinking about rest. And, and it's definitely not best. Um, so yeah, this is, this is kind of number one question when you've got back pain, should you rest? What is your answer to that Paul? And I can see your face already. Uh, so I think it was back in the sixties the or seventies where medical knowledge was when you get back pain, just have total bed rest and you just sort of lie down. But then as researchers evolved, they found that actually by resting, you just lose so much muscle mass and strength so quickly. And everything seizes up. So all of like joints and especially spinal joints, they always get their nutrition by moving. So it helps sort of circulate through the different joints. So what they found was with people just totally resting, it would just make their symptoms like so much worse, like harder to sort of deal with, which sort of goes on to sort of common misconceptions about you just get a lot of people where they get sort of symptoms, especially back pain and just want to shut down. But actually motion is lotion for sort of spinal pathologies um, and I know you've been doing a lot of lot of sort of reading behind this mate so if you want to run through some sort of classical myths that 
patients have sort of said or sort of what how best to sort of deal with these things now yeah i mean i've I've had obviously prepared for this episode and and read a lot about it but it it always comes back to the same questions and you can really think about people that we've seen in the past with these types of back pain talking about the question um i've and i'm sure you have as well i've seen examples of people who've come in with back pain um and there's one lady that springs to mind who she rested for i think it was two or three weeks after she had a really acute severe back pain um and by rest i mean she was told based on what her husband thought was best advice just to lay in bed and rest because that will heal up and things will get better and actually what happened was by the time she came to see me she could barely move she had her she was kind of doing a bit of a conga she had her hands on her husband's shoulders and she was walking in and um because she couldn't bend she couldn't twist and obviously once we did the assessment which was very hard because she she couldn't lay down she could barely sit down um did the best we could but obviously the main thing around that it was ruling out what we call red flags um and i'm sure you'll you'll explain a little bit more what red flags are but, and what they might be but once we rule those out that's kind of the one percent of back pain that is more severe and can lead to more serious issues and once i ruled that out it was all around trying to reduce the fear that she had of twisting and bending which she thought was going to be kind of exacerbate her back but actually what she what had happened is it would increase the stiffness she'd lost some strength and then her symptoms had worsened but also a lot of around it and we'll go into this with some other myths is is the fear and the, the kind of the mental side of things um and the biggest thing is that gradually with regards to the question more specifically it's gradually increasing your exercise and and not maybe starting with a very short period of rest, um, if at all, depending on the severity of the symptoms, um, and then increasing it as we go. So that, that's kind of my answer to the question with regards to exercise. But um, another really common back pain myth is that you should avoid the gym um, and lifting weights more specifically when you have back pain. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of myth around back pain Paul? Uh, yeah I mean obviously there's the caveat of if someone has back pain it could be a sign of serious pathology so the red flags you're doing so to get tests to go see a medical professional to sort of clear those sort of red flag symptoms and sign of serious pathology but if all that is cleared and the medical professional goes oh it's sort of common low back pain then I the first thing I do is get people to do loaded exercise so it's obviously dependent on what they can do but if they are generally quite fit and active and they're used to lifting weights you might get people lifting weights almost straight away again a bit lighter um, but and it sort of just always comes back to like if i get back niggles so because i used to play cricket when i was really young like a lot younger and um, i've always had like sort of slight niggly backs it always tends to get worse the less active i become and backs especially, they tend to do the opposite. It, your body tells you the opposite to what actually should happen. So your body tells you, well, sort of rest, don't move. But actually that will just make you stiffer and worse. Whereas actually doing some movement, relaxing into it. And that, yeah, so sort of I always, yeah, I mean, not always, but I definitely advocate lifting weights and mm. stuff. Me too. And, and for some people, getting more specific, 
So say for inch and with, say for example rather with flexion is, is the word I was looking for flexion is the bend in your back so for some people they might have a, either a bit of a flexion intolerance like they don't bend really well from the hips or they're not very strong through that movement and perhaps that might have been their cause of injury they went to kind of bend over and pick something up or um, and they, it's not necessarily that something pathological happened um, with the joints or the back itself, but we'll get onto that on a separate myth. But by actually treating people, by getting them loading, as you say, and lifting weights into flexion. So, for example, that could be a deadlift. It could be um, a, a good morning exercise where you kind of have something on your back or you're holding it to your chest and you lean forward. Um, or any type of hinge, for, for example, could have the opposite effect. And not only is, is um, lifting weights not dangerous for you, but it could actually prevent and um kind of make you more robust to that type of injury going forward so i think in terms of our big myth busters that we're talking about today that's a huge one um yes maybe avoiding the gym from certain things or certain activities that might be provocative in the short term might be a good thing but but going forward lifting weights could make you a heck of a lot stronger and more tolerant to most activities right Oh yeah, and that's sort of people think they they sort of have a very fragile mindset. So by lifting heavy weights or lifting weight or doing something harder, they just assume that they'll then break. Whereas as humans, it's all like we will only ever adapt to what we're doing. So it comes on to sort of the terms of wear and tear, which I couldn't hate any more. Where we're not bits of furniture, as in sort of like a hinge on a door you keep opening and closing it in the end that hinge will just sort of snap off like if that was like a human spinal joint and you sort of moving 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 that hinge would just get stronger stronger and more tolerant to it so it's it's sort of like the opposite mindset but i mean i've had patients like you've probably had where they've been told not to bend again and they've taken that absolutely literally and you're sort of 20 years later and they've never bent forward in their back and holding their core as tight as possible. Whereas again, it sort of leads on to those previous health beliefs that people used to think where just protect and sort of stabilize your spine, like your spine's unstable. Whereas a majority of the time it's sort of doing the opposite. Whereas the more you relax and the more you actually move and bend forward, it allows it to do it. Cause it's getting a body. It, like your nervous system will only respond to what you do. So if you never bend forward, you can't bend forward. So it almost leads to like more issues going forward. And, and I feel as a population, we deal with a back pain completely different to a, an ankle sprain. Yes. Where, like it's, whereas anatomically they're the same structures. Mm. Um, so we tend to deal with that. And this is even like as physios as well, they tend to deal with like joints away from the spine, completely different to spinal ones. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, sort of like bending. And again, it just comes back to, I literally tell patients do the opposite to what your body wants you to do. Yep. Generally the body hasn't got a clue what it's doing. If it mm. did, we wouldn't have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the thing that I keep thinking about as you were talking then is comes back to that phrase, you don't get better at things by not doing them. So how are you going to get 
better and more confident with your back movements if you're not bending and if you're not extending and and you're not rotating and things like that like you strengthen into those movements do them repeat them you're you're not only will you get the physical benefits but you'll get the mental benefits of reassuring yourself and building confidence and and that whole experience and again we'll get onto this later on with, with the more kind of cognitive or mental side of things but um with regards to that the the gym-based myth that we're busting here is is you've got to do it just just get on and do it and that's where it comes back to having the right professional in front of you and and some of the obviously it's really hard and i'm sure you you'll find this you find this as well when there's that poor health beliefs use the term fragile um, where people may have been told, oh, you've got to look after your back. That might have been by a relative or a friend, or as you said, even a, another health professional. And you've got to be careful and don't do this, don't do that. And I think there is an element of, of it is important to do that gradually, but you can, you can be a little bit too careful, can't you? Oh, yeah. And I'd say the majority of rehab people are underdoing it rather than overdoing it. Um, vast majority. But again, it's sort of, yeah, and that's what sort of frustrates me really when they come in and like a GP has said, you can't do this and you can't do that. And then they never do. And it, it's sort of, I feel like sometimes we bring more issues than a solve sometimes. Mm. Um, but, but coming on to like the movement tolerance stuff, it's, it's where sort of your brain, like the sort of the sensory homunculus stuff on your brain where, like every every movement you do is an image in sort of the top of your brain and then if you don't ever do that movement that image becomes blurred so that becomes like dodgy definition whereas the more you do that movement the higher definition and the clearer and easier it becomes yeah and i mean people would understand if it's like if you're right-handed you then do stuff with your left hands but that's because the image in your brain for your right hand is just a lot clearer um, so it's then if you're not ever doing bending, then that image, A, it doesn't, it just becomes harder to do, but your brain forgets how to do it if it's never done as well. But all that can then be reversed as well, like stroke rehab, where people literally can't move at all. Like I've seen it, where that pathway literally gets blocked off from a blood clot. But then as that recovers and you just do lots and lots of those functional tasks and movements, all of a sudden it regrows that movement as well. So I say, it's never too late to learn all those things but yeah it's sort of trying to do yeah don't almost move it move it more basically yeah definitely yeah. spinal stuff yeah that um that brings me on to our next back pain myth so one one big thing is that um often people think that an mri or an x-ray will show what exactly what's wrong with their back what what's your view on that I mean, there's quite a lot of studies on this now where they've scanned lots of people through asymptomatics who've never, who've never had back pain in their life and people with back pain symptoms and showing that there's sort of a lot of findings on MRI are relatively normal. But, and again, it's just like normal aging. So the fact that we live on gravity, your, your joints are going to show stuff because they're sort of adapting to sort of load as well but by stuff you mean what often if someone does have an x-ray yeah i mean like degenerative discs are very very common in people without symptoms and like disc disc pathology so 
people, the amount of people that come in and go, oh, I've got a slip disc. They've been told they've got a slip disc. But unfortunately, a disc has never slipped in the history of Earth. So that term, again, comes into wear and tear where it's yeah. just horrific. And again, if, if I was a patient and, and someone said, you've slipped your disc, it doesn't exactly make me want to go and go out for a run. Like, of course, I'm going to lie in bed. It's, and again, it's, it's that perception of what you do. So this is where a lot now, if you get with the scans, they'll, sometimes they'll provide the epidemiological data. So like what, what is normal for someone your age and finding. So it's a bit more context to it. But again, the, a scan is good to rule out your serious pathology, like we sort of said, like they're necessary to have. And I think the guidelines now are not to go straight for scans because of sort of the abnormal findings we get. And then you've got to sort of try and, you've got to try and educate someone to go, oh no, that's actually not too bad. Whereas they can go to someone else and they go, oh my God, that's, that's the worst scan I've ever seen in my life. The amount of times you hear that from someone, I mean, it's crazy really. Oh my God, that's the spine of a 200 year old. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's why, and, and often it feels unkind when, especially when, when I find people have been to the GP first and they go with back pain and, and their first pop cause, they probably Googled or had a look and it says, right, you should probably get a scan on that, that back. And then the GP goes, well, we're not going to do that. And then the, 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 the client or the patient says, well, it's because they don't have any money on the NHS and they don't want to pay for it. And, and often, okay, that might be that might be true to a degree. Um, however, often we find that that with those scans, by finding some changes that haven't been properly explained, either because there's a radiologist who who's just sent a report and not talked them through, or as you said, there's no context to it. Those that knowledge of of what's going on in people's back can often be unhelpful, and then it can reinforce those sort of more guarded behaviours that we've talked about in terms of. Um, stiffness loss of strength and and a negative mindset and an unhelpful uh, belief um, and I'm sure you've seen these as well um, but what would you coming back to something you said about um, obviously someone's never slipped a disc in the history of humanity um, how would you explain that when someone comes in and goes oh I've got a slipped disc what, what might you say to them and, and what would you what would you do to kind of reassure them uh, I mean I'll tell them like the disc bulges out so common perception is sort of the disc starts here then got the video. so the disc is here and in your spine and then all of a sudden it slipped out and then it's just running riot on your spinal cord but you get different levels of dyspathology so it's like mild herniation where it comes out the back and then that can go bigger and then it can fully come out like sequestrated but it's very rare to see that on someone's scan and, and something like that would show up as symptoms so there's like neural pathology would have specific signs and symptoms of sort of different things pathology. Uh, so actual like nerves so you have you have pain coming from a bone or a joint or a muscle so that's called like nociceptive but then you have nerve pain which would be like neuropathic but they would be out there be clearly identified from a medical professional sort of what's going on and it would cause like quite a lot of dysfunction but then you can go oh, okay well that links to that scan and that would sort of lead to that but but when someone comes in and there's let's say they've got mild disbulge but they've got no neural signs or symptoms and 
they got no pain shooting down the leg and it's central and sort of their general organ function and bladder and bowel function and totally normal no symptoms there and and it's a backache that goes with movement and stuff like that it would be going oh all those signs and symptoms don't match that scan so but that scan we can find that result in however so like a mild disbulge in sort of your younger population that still occurs about 20% of the time, even if they've never had symptoms. So it's trying to match up the scam with what they have as well. So that's where it's always, you set, you do the clinical assessment and then if you feel there is something dodgy going on, so like there, there is a like severe neural pathology going on or sort of cancer, anything like that, then the scan adds to that rather than you just get the scan and then that's it. So yeah. yeah. And that's what I, I try to explain to people is that you, you often feel like you're banging the head against you're banging your head against the wall when when you go we actually can get a lot from our clinical examination, as in the physio having a good look at you and assessing you. And and people are reluctant to believe that often, I think, just but just based on maybe historically or maybe they've had a bad experience but it's you have to have that in order to have the scan the scan alone won't show anything so if you if you google private mri or private x-ray in london or wherever you are in the country and you go and have that that's not going to explain your back pain you, you it's got to match up right and that's that's what you're you're saying there Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think London's worse than probably other parts of the country where people come in and they've had an x-ray and there's an arrow on every spinal joint where this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. And then, yeah, like you said, it's just not going to make you do, you just, and but I, but I get it from a patient's point of view where you do like an assessment and, and you go, well, oh, but I want to know. And I get that as well. But the issue is scanning low backs, it almost makes you know less sometimes. It almost clouds it with more stuff that is completely irrelevant. But I totally get it from a general public where you go and you think, oh, well, I just want to know what is wrong. So that's structural, but it sort of leads on to where structural pathology doesn't necessarily equal sort of pain and symptoms mm. um, or damage doesn't equal pain. That's, that's, that's our myth buster. Um, so that that's that, let me introduce it a little bit so so people and, fully that, and that hasn't that hasn't been planned that just happened that, so. that's yeah. completely unplanned. you are <laughs> very good at this so the um one of the big ones when i was looking online is that um we, we call it a bit of a classic that, that people come in and they think that their pain must mean that there is damage somewhere in their body um and that because they've got this back pain, something has happened within their spine. Um, if that was their kind of overriding thing when they come into clinic, what, what, what would you say to them? And, and how would you reassure them? Oh, I mean, it's obviously hard about doing sort of assessments and things like that on people. But for me, it's more if a pain is related to something and the closer it occurs to something, the more likely you can sort of match it up with damage. So say they are doing some DIY at the moment and they're sort of building and or say people are like moving house. So they go from never lifting anything to all of a sudden they're lifting four sofas into a lorry and stuff like that. And then there's a, there's like a big increase in the amount they've done without their body being prepared for it. And so then they, they feel a pull in their back and then they get pain in that area and they come in and 
everything matches like that, well, then it's more likely to be a bit of damage there because it all matches. Yes. Whereas the other example would be they, they are, they're just wandering around. They, they've got maybe got a bit of a history of a backache, something like that. They go down to pick up a pen and then they get a real severe pain there. But like you look at them, there's no signs of redness or bruising and then it's resolving. Um, and it goes within sort of a, a couple of days. Well, then the likelihood of that being damaged is like very low. Mm. Or they've not done anything at all where they're just walking around and they get a bit of a backache. Or and their back hasn't moved at all. It's Yeah, it's like times like that. But I don't think I'll particularly explain that well. How would you go about it? No, I think, I think you, you have done a good job there. I think you're, you're talking about things matching up. But I, I think looking above where we're talking about more specifics is is the difference between what you called earlier nociceptive pain which is that sort of reflex that pattern pathway where someone treads on a pin and yes that is that reflex arc whereas more modern physiotherapy and modern neuroscience and pain understanding is more around the holistic experience of pain and that actually pain is not necessarily a sensation it's a perception because it is produced in the brain and there's a read there's loads of good stuff online and there's stuff on our website in terms of uh, the stuff from the australian group with um are they called no pain as in with a k and, and the, the video is on explain pain yeah i think it's um yeah n like k n o w but it's like the noi group so noi there's people like lauren and mosley and peter o'sullivan yeah and and they they explain it's just it's so multifaceted so rather than when your pain persists beyond kind of normal tissue healing times which may be what between two and six weeks um in worst case scenario um is that it's it's complex so there are things around your understanding of pain as we spoke about earlier and say for instance your grandma had back pain your mum had back pain you think that there's a, a, a genetic link so therefore there's going to be some fear around it so that will exacerbate your understanding whereas your friend you might have both been if you're talking about moving home you're both lifting the same sofa and you've hurt your back your the one side of it your friend might be a self-employed person who has to go to work so they just crack on with it whereas you might um have those unhelpful beliefs from your uh, family and therefore you really kind of succumb to those fearful behaviors and that's what we're talking about there's people are, are very different humans right and they have very different understandings around pain and and because it is produced in the brain it is a lot more complex um so i think that's 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 what we're really talking about when we're yeah. talking about so you say so you say pains in the brain does that mean it's all in my head um, well, it is all in your head because everything's in our head, right? All of our <laughs> understanding. So, yeah, but no, you're not just a nutcase that's making it up. It's, it's part of the experience. And, and I think once we um, reassure people, as in rule out their red flags, do a full assessment, create the right conditions for healing if there is a slight bit of damage, i.e. a muscle pull in their back, or even if there are some degenerative changes, they might not necessarily, we can't really, the truth is, know for certain what's caused your back pain. Um, it's very difficult to do that. But once we rule out the more serious things, then uh, reassuring people, making a graded plan to then get them back into their activity 
as we've said before, whether that's the gym or whether that's just bending, rotating and moving is the most important thing. And kind of battling those myths because people stopping activities is the most counterintuitive thing, right? Oh yeah, but why would, I'm going to throw stuff at you now just for a little bit, but why would reassuring someone help help their symptoms? Um, because I think if, if you look at it from the other side of it, what, what's helpful by creating fear around their symptoms um, because then therefore you're going to be more consumed by it. You're going to worry about it. You're going to, you're going to move less. Um, you're not, you're going to think about it less. Um, and there's, there's loads of kind of real negative things that can come about it. And as you said earlier, a lot of the nourishment or nutrition for the spine comes from movement. So if therefore you're worried about things, you're moving less, um, things stiffen up, you reduce your strength as a result, and therefore you're, you might get a kind of a, what I call a vicious pain cycle where you then have the two sides of it where your, your physical side of things are, are deteriorating, your mental side of things deteriorate. That's a kind of a, I was going to say something, a, a kind of a real shitstorm, let's just say it, for, <laughs> for like real... Well, add some explicit pain. content on this now. Yeah, we're going to have to put that big E up. But yeah, it, it's, I think it's important enough to say that that is a real um, downward spiral that it can lead to if you don't reassure your patients. Obviously, there are examples, and I'm sure you would have seen these um, symptoms where we, it's called Aquinas syndrome, where it is quite a serious pathology with the back. And you've spoken about some of those symptoms. So I think it probably is worth just addressing that. And, and, and what, what is that? And, and that is kind of our really rare type of back pain, isn't it? And, and um, yeah, how do you rule that out and, and, and go about that with your patients and reassuring them from there? And so quarter equina is sort of the nerve at the bottom of the spine. So it's the nerve that sort of leads to sort of bladder, bowel function, sexual function, um, but it will give a lot of nerve symptoms as well. So yeah, that's where sort of a simple backache, it could be something really serious. So that's where sort of getting things cleared and checked out is sort of definitely necessary especially when there's not been an incident say you've just sat there and then all of a sudden you've got real sharp pain somewhere and it's not linked to movement or anything you've done that's when sort of things need to definitely be cleared out yeah but it's sort of even subtle changes in like the urgency of going to like going for like we and like yeah the other other sort of bowel functions as well you can't control what you're doing so you can't stop or you can't open and yeah, it's real subtle changes, but then there's like numbness when you're sitting down, like sort of like you call it your saddle, where like if you're sat on a horse or all that area, there's changes in the sensation or more sensation or pain down the leg, one or both legs or shooting stuff. There's, yeah, there's a lot of things that would be sort of need to be cleared to sort of do that. And then that's an urgent MRI and sort of definitely like hospital job straight away. Mm. But um, in general, we you'd get a lot of them from the, the talking at the start, which again, I don't think patients really understand when you're sat there and you might talk to someone about their symptoms for sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, and you'd probably think what a waste of time, but you sort of rule out most of your serious stuff from the talking at the start. Yeah. And then um, you, uh, yeah. what was that, sorry? 
and, and I said we get a lot from it as well. We get yeah, a lot you get loads. What type of back pain there is, and then you sort of add, uh, and then the other testing that you're doing, you sort of would do sort of like yeah, full joint, muscle, nerve assessments, and that can sort of find different things, and then and then plus or minus a scan at the end. So it's all part of a package, but but yeah, I wouldn't. Quarter equiner is the one that I'm most on red alert for with spine pathologies. But I, but I think I've only ever come across someone that's seen symptoms of that maybe once in, and we've oh, seen. Oh yeah, it's very rare. Miles. And I've never had it. And I've never seen someone. Never, and we've we've never seen. It. I've just heard from another physio, so that should reassure people that that is the more severe type of back pain, um, as well as ones related to. Um, cancers and things like that and it's just very very rare and and that is what your physiotherapist and your gp are screening for so that's why we're saying it is important to get an assessment if you if you are worried about your back pain but those are very very rare circumstances um, and if you're generally well healthy and you've not had any previous underlying conditions or health problems the chances of you getting those types of pain are minimal and that's why although we often sound quite we're doing this whole episode on myth busting it's not us being dismissive of people's pain is it's us reassuring people that actually most of the time you you can deal with these things quite comfortably um obviously it's physios are experts at dealing with this type of pain and problem and we're more likely to get you back to a level where it won't happen again so it is worth coming to see us that's not a plug necessarily for our business although obviously that's that is our business but <laughs> most back pain because there's twin uh, some of the facts around this is half of all people experience back pain at some point in their life and 20 percent of the world population are living with pain right now so we we need to address these things and we need to reassure people because i think there's a lot of rubbish out there as well isn't there in terms of information oh yeah and it's just sort of just health building healthy habits so like being more physically active eating well drinking drinking water rather than like 40 coffees though instead um like yeah getting eating your fruits and vegetables that most people want to like but yeah it's just all of those habits lead to it but but yeah i mean the majority of the low back pains i see i once i've cleared them of anything sort of serious i'll be like well probably take six weeks that's what we know sort of like regression to the mean we sort of call it where the majority of them it will just resolve on their own if they sort of keep relatively active some people will need a little bit more input than others but um this is where i like to get them i, I like to see them people early or sort of discuss with people early because it's so much easier to then settle whereas say i mean i've had people it's been 30 years or something like so so chronic and long term it's just so much harder to sort of get people going yeah but, um, and it's, it's not impossible and it comes back to what you're talking about in terms of the brain and neural plasticity and there's and neural plasticity is your ability to learn new things and, and change kind of um the things in your brain that coordinate with movement and experience and, and sensation and perception. So it's, it's the sooner you can, you can be seen, it's not ingraining these really unhelpful things in your mind. Um, and oh, a lot of this goes back to, um, this is going to get a bit philosophical here, but uh, going back to 
um, the philosopher, the French philosopher, René Descartes, he was one of the people that came up with the original kind of um, hypotheses and, and um, on pain and, and sensation. And it was that we've all got this kind of inbuilt thing in us that uh, if there's either, um, again, we'll come back to that pin example. If you step on a pin, that's that sensation and then causation of pain. Whereas what we know is that perception is a more reactive um, understanding of pain. So if you get two people and you go to pinch them, they're going to have completely different experiences. It's not just inbuilt, right? Some people have different tolerances. Some people have different experiences of being pinched, perhaps. Um, and therefore, they will experience pain to different levels. And that, and that kind of is a very simplistic way of, of explaining this difference between perception of pain and sensation. Have I done a good job of explaining that there? Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, pain is absolutely crazy, isn't it? When you think about it, because like every factor and what I sort of like to say is sort of like the pain that you get from a paper cut is just so intense for sort of such little damage that you're doing. Whereas sort of, and, and, but it would be like all your perception behind it that sort of leads to it, which is crazy where, like where you have, like in lockdown, I imagine people's pains are sort of getting a lot worse just because there's stress on job security, like family yeah. issues, all that. And then anything that you fear is you don't know if you're going to get help. So that will sort of ramp it up and stuff like that. Whereas on the other hand, other people, if they got like a comfortable home and they got a nice job and they got a nice life, maybe that their perception might be a bit lower than someone else. And it's just every factor on earth just leads to a difference in pain and mm. yes yeah, that's, that's where it's sort of it's just so complex that sort of understanding the and i mean scientifically we still are sort of getting to grips with like the mechanisms behind it and what factors and everything like that i know you've been doing some reading onto that like bit yeah. of neural pathways involved only just scratching the surface because obviously we are more generalists and we're not we're not um, neuroscientists and we're not by any stretch pain experts but that doesn't mean to say that we don't do a good job at treating and managing pain because i mean we're the ones that are seeing people in first contact but um there's some really funny examples of of pain and i think sometimes it is useful to give a real um kind of depiction to people and there was uh, mick thacker talks about in his I think if you look on his TED TEDx talk on YouTube, which talks about um, predictive processing and about perception of pain, he gives the example of a builder that jumps, I don't know, a low, like quite high off of off a scaffolding and has a 15 um, inch nail through his boot, and he experiences all these sensations associated with really extreme pain, sweating, increased heart rate. Um, obviously crying out in, in, in pain and all these things. They get to the hospital because he sees this massive nail through his boot. So he thinks, God, I must have done all this damage. They x-ray the foot and the doctor, after the x-ray, whips the boot off very quickly. And actually he'd realized from the x-ray that it just gone in between his two toes. It hadn't actually penetrated anything at all. But that experience and that expectation of pain causes those kind of reactive processes or those kind of 
error processes in his brain that he experienced as pain. And so therefore that is a little bit of an example of what happens with people's back pain, for example. So you experience something, maybe you've, and I've had someone who bent over to put their toothbrush back in their holder and had this massive kind of ping of pain and came in to see me fairly quickly afterwards, actually. And obviously once we ruled out all these more serious things they, they were experiencing at the start, very intense, similar sensations to that builder who jumped off and got the nail through the boot. But actually once we reassured, as we spoke about earlier, ruled out serious pathology, started with a graded plan, um, and started on some treatment that was trying to get them moving, rotating, and giving nourishment to the, the joints, the back pain diminished and, and it goes. So I think that's, that kind of is a little bit of, of what we do and a bit of an insight into how we treat back pain. Oh, I like the story from Laura Mimosi. So he's a big researcher out in Australia. And he said, I don't know if it was him, but he probably sells it as it, it like happened to him, just for dramatic effect. But that talks about how he used to walk in the outback in Australia and he was sort of walking along and then he felt a bit of a scratch on his ankle. Um, and he just thought it was a twig. So he just carried on walking. But actually that scratch was a brown snake. So then he got like airlifted to hospital, basically nearly died from it when we do it and then recovered. And then he speaks about, it was sort of a couple of years later where he was sort of walking in the outback and then he felt a scratch on his ankle. But this time his leg felt like it was on fire and swelling up and he thought a foyer was like going to come off. But actually he looked down and it was just a twig. So that sort of just leads to then your previous experience will dictate your pain response as well. So yeah, it just shows how so that and again it's just education is just power, isn't it? Like a lot of the time it's a lot a lot of time it's sort of no, that's safe to do. And then in someone in clinic, the most rewarding patients I see are people where they're told never to bend in their life and you get them to bend and it's fine and it's just it's almost like you're just opening a whole new world to them. It's, um, yeah, it's, but, it's, but, yeah. It's interesting ones where you get people to um, even look at a deadlift and they go, oh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't hold those one kilo weights and bend forward. But then they'll drop their mobile phone and they'll bend over and pick it up without even thinking about it. And that, that's that same example, isn't it, of, of fear and... Um, oh yeah i mean a lot of a lot of what we do is sort of tricking the body into doing something it is scared to like trying to trying to load an area about your body thinking it's actually doing it as well so doing like a, a bend forward but maybe a line on your back where you're still doing that same motion and then it lets yes. you do it and then you sort of build and build or sat down but uh yeah pain pain is crazy it's a bit like i tried to explain to people when the majority of people, if they get a headache, they don't all of a sudden think they've got a brain tumour. Mm. But if people get back pain, they might all of a sudden think they're slipped disc straight away. Yeah, yeah. it's going to the extremes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think we've covered a lot there. Um, I think it'd probably be good to sum up some of those back pain myths and go through. So do add anything in that you think when I go through them. So kind of number one we spoke about was um, when I've got back pain, should I rest or should I move? Um, and I think we've done a, a fairly good job of saying that um, in, in 
pretty much 100% of cases, or 99% of cases, um, it's really important to um, reassure people that it's fine to move. And actually having a fear of twisting and bending can actually exacerbate the stiffness and loss of strength, which will then in turn worsen symptoms. So uh, gradually is often the key word in terms of increasing their exercise. So that was our sort of number one based on our question. Um, number two was around the gym and lifting weights um, when you have back pain. Um, and actually, uh, one thing I didn't mention is that there's, uh, there are some studies that, that say for instance, the gym is your main source of um, exercise and lifting weights is what you enjoy. Studies have shown that if you can get back to the exercise that you enjoy quicker, then you will recover faster. Um, so that's a really, really important point. And, and it is safe to, to lift weights. And, and in fact, we, we gave a couple of examples there of loading into flexion or the bend is really safe to do and could prevent you from from re-injuring the back yeah a little caveat for that is there there is a study i forget the name but they found that people who do like heavy lifting and deadlifts it actually it sort of increased the thickness of sort of the disc so it actually made the disc slightly so it adapted to that loading that it was doing right. which again leads to everything opposite to what you taught where yeah, it's just the body, it's just a human organism where it will only, it's just, everything's just, for me, it's just always building tolerance. But yeah, that study was a good one because it, rather than protection all the time, it's actually no, you can even adapt your disc, which is good. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the calluses on your hand hypothesis from lifting weights. Like, although that might seem like it's damaged because it's something abnormal that you didn't have before, your body's very clever because you develop calluses over those parts where you're either holding the weights to to thicken the skin and protect it in the, in the future and, and that's what you say when that study happens and lifting weights um one of the third ones we spoke about was scans mris and x-rays and people's understanding that this might show what's wrong with their back um we obviously went in a little bit there we're talking about how that doesn't mean anything on its own and you need an assessment with it and that you can get a lot from clinical assessment. Um, the next one after that, which led into um, from the scan one was, was the old classic, we call it pain equals damage. Um, and we only really scratched the surface with that, didn't we, in terms of modern, modern understanding of pain science and, and actually that pain is more complex than just that pinprick pin or that kind of pinch sensation and and in your back it's it is very hard to understand what's going on often but that shouldn't mean that it, it, you should worry about it or that you think it's severe and and often there's a lot around it with beliefs and like expectations and, and previous experience and all those types of things that we we spoke about there yeah i'll put links to sort of the videos we spoke about because yeah there's a lot of the internet is very good sometimes but it can be horrific other times so we'll sort of point people into the the people they should be listening to really um, yeah. but yeah there's lots of good videos but but yeah pain is just crazy yeah yeah it is and that should that should reassure people um that that what they're it, we're, we're really not diminishing anyone who is listening to this with back pain because I mean, we both get back pain. <laughs> We're both physios who spend a lot of time either demonstrating exercises or hunched over a plinth, um, taking people through their exercises and treatments. So we do experience it, it is real. Um, but I think the reason we don't necessarily suffer with it 
is not only because we both exercise, but because we have an understanding of it and therefore our um, health beliefs and our beliefs around our back pain is that we know the context of it. And we strive to keep ourselves as healthy as possible and get the right sleep, get the right nutrition. And hopefully that also helps us. Oh yeah, absolutely. But um, I, I definitely agree that the, the knowledge that I have regarding sort of pain now, it really helps me out. But even you can have all the knowledge, but your body just still goes into that default, protect, rigid, guard. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy how it sort of just overrides everything as well. But, mm. um, but yeah. Definitely. No, that's good. I think we've covered a lot of myth busters there. It might be a good one if people, again, think about um, any questions that they might have coming out of this. Again, we've had a really great response. So um, we'd love to hear any more questions that you might have more specifically about back pain or in fact anything that we've spoken about in podcasts so far. Um, we love answering those questions and gives us something to talk about other than that the football's restarted, which is brilliant, by the way. Oh, yeah, especially with goal line technology not working and Arsenal losing 3-0. So, yeah, there's a lot more to go. But, um, but no, I want to say thank you to Michael for the question. Hopefully we've answered it well for him. But, yeah, if you want to follow up or anyone else that, you know, so ways to answer questions. So you can go directly on the website. So it's bfrphysio.com slash forward slash podcast. Or you can email us directly at injurymen at gmail.com or we're on Instagram and Twitter. It's at injury underscore men. So far away questions there. Um, and is there anything else you want to say for us sort of before we sign off, mate? No, just thanks again, mate, for all your contributions and your knowledge bombs or myth busters today. I think it's been a really good one. And as I said, this it's really important, this topic. When 20% of people are living with pain worldwide if we can even just scratch away a little bit at the few people that are listening to this um and give them some, some more help around that i think that's that's massively helpful oh and um the charter society of physiotherapy had a good sort of miss busters sort of pointer so i'll put a link to that and the videos that we mentioned and sort of pain education into the show notes and and now it's been a it's been a good one yeah sort of hopefully we've sort of gone into it a few times a few added a bit of knowledge to people but just want to end on the this episode is produced by bfr physiotherapy clinic and graphic design was by vicky higgins and take care and we'll see you on the next episode <laughs>